Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Boosting Your Financial IQ. Today we have a really interesting topic. I'm excited to have Eric Simonson. He is the CEO of Abundo Wealth on, and we're going to be talking about how you can do financial planning at any budget, really. I mean, so it doesn't matter if you have a gazillion dollars or if you have 50 cents in your savings account, uh, there is a solution here to get started and you don't have to wait until one day where you have a certain amount of assets to get the financial support and expertise that you need. So Eric, welcome to the show. I'm so glad to have you. Thank you, Steven. It's wonderful to be here. And also I love your haircut. Yeah, I know we look great. So if you're listening to the audio version, we're both bald headed guys. So uh, I love it. You just have a little bit more scruff on your face. Uh, yeah, I do. Which is great. Do, yeah. Know? Okay. Well, cool. Let's jump in here because I think this is an interesting topic. Let's start with your journey. I'm always curious about how people get into the world of finance. Is this something that you plan from a younger age where you're like, hey, I'm a numbers person. I like math. I like finance. I like money. This is the path I'm going to go down. Or has it been much messier than that? Yeah, wonderful question to start. I would say it was messier than that. I actually went to school originally for uh, like language and, and English degree, but um, I, I was convinced by my then girlfriend, now wife, to consider pursuing a business degree instead. And uh, I'm really glad I did because I actually interned at a broker dealer kind of after my my senior year of college, and I was really convinced by that firm I was at that you know, financial planning can have a really incredible impact on the lives of many, many people. And that really inspired me, I think, at that young age to be like, oh, wow, I can I can have a job that actually makes a difference versus, you know, just a, a regular office job that uh, I thought I was destined to have. And so I I went into uh, full, full steam ahead into financial planning at 22 and have been doing it now for, gosh, 15, 16 years. Okay. So what what is financial planning exactly for those who are listening? And I, I'm sure most people have heard of financial planning, retirement planning, but what's the, I mean, what, what are the key drivers of it? What's the core essence of this space? Yeah. I, I think when everybody hears the word financial planning, they immediately, they immediately think of financial advisor, financial broker, and they think of investments. And they think that that is the kind of the sole job of a financial advisor to just give them instructions or take over their investments and help them create you know, a, a balanced portfolio. But that in essence is really in my mind, probably 5% of what a financial planner should do and does. And so really to me, what financial planning is, is actually looking at budgeting, figuring out how much should you be spending? How much should you be saving? Where should you be saving? What kind of debt do you have? How should you be paying down that debt? What are your goals? How do you save for your kid's education, et cetera, et cetera? How do you pick benefits through work? You know, really anything related to your financial life, big or small, in my mind, is financial planning. Yeah, that's great. And you know, for me, I, I don't really get too much into the the financial planning space. You know, my my whole thing with boosting your financial IQ is about okay, let me teach you how to read financial statements how to understand the story behind the numbers so you can be more successful in business and drive higher values with equity. Or if you're going to go invest in the stock market, how to understand the story behind a company with, from a financial perspective or a strategy perspective before you just put money into a certain stock. But I think like the financial planning space is great for a lot of people who are like, okay, you know, I'm starting out and I want to start planning for my financial future, or maybe they're you know mid-age or late late stage in their life, and they they need a plan. They need a financial plan. 
regardless of whether they're entrepreneurs or not. And I, I think there's a lot of different products out there beyond just like starting a business and growing the equity or investing in stocks. There's 401ks, IRAs, you know, all these different vehicles out there. And it can be super confusing for people. Yeah, it, it, absolutely. And the sad thing is they don't teach you any of this in school. Right. And that it just drives me nuts that, you know, you'll some very smart people graduate with, with very low financial IQ. Right. And yeah. so, yeah, what, what you're doing, what, what we do uh, with financial planning, it's all part of that same story of right. Empowering people and educating people to understand what, what is going on in their financial life and, and how do they take steps to, to move forward and actually achieve their goals. Exactly. Cause I think there's like the business finance side, you know, that that's more my space, but if you're successful in business, you know, you're going to have excess money. And then when you pay yourself that you have to do something with it. Right. Yeah. Like, so if you're not going to go start another business or reinvest it back in the business, you're sitting on this cash and it's like, okay, what do I do with it? You know, do I put it in a 401k? Do I put it in an IRA? What's this thing Roth? What's this thing traditional? What's the difference yeah. between the two? And, you know, if somebody's talking to me about whole life insurance or term insurance and all this stuff, and it can be really difficult for people to navigate. So most people, how do, how do most people handle that uh, when it comes to their, their personal finances? What's the status quo out there? Uh, the status quo, I think, is, is um, inaction. Most people, I think, are paralyzed by just the, the choices and they, they gravitate towards what, what is either easiest or what is loudest. You know, what are they hearing the most, right? And so you mentioned whole life insurance and that that's something that got a lot of noise over the last couple of years on like TikTok and, and Instagram, just, you know, influencers out there talking about whole life insurance. And that's baffles me because it's not something that we typically recommend or want our clients to to use but yet a lot of people end up going down that route because it's it's in front of them yeah and so yeah the i think for us the big thing is just really making sure that as financial planners right we're we're lifting up all the rocks and we're looking under them and saying hey for you right for your exact situation what is the best option is it the the regular 401k or is it the roth 401k and here's why yeah, that's great. So that, maybe you could start with this. Let's break down the financial planning retirement space. So there are differences with licensure and, you know, there's, you know, there's brokers and there's RIAs and fiduciaries yep. and there's all these terms. Maybe you could just provide a high level explanation of the difference between the different financial planners and experts in the space. Oh man, this is a, that's a tough question and a loaded question. So I hate the fact that there are so many terms out there for financial planners, financial advisors. Yeah. I mean, you hit on about six of them. There's probably 30 different terms out there. If you'll allow me, I'll, I'll give, I'll, I'll kind of run down in, in the highest level the what, what the differences are. So you've got fee-based advisors. Okay. That's a, that's a general term for a large swath of advisors, fee-based. Those are advisors that are going to typically manage your investments for you charge a, a fee to do that or a commission to do that. And then they're also going to be offering you insurance and annuity products. Okay. So those, most people are kind of going to view those as more kind of sales people. Um, those are fee-based advisors. And then you have fee-only advisors and fee-only advisors is a term that really came into play about 15, 20 years ago. And those are advisors who don't sell annuities or uh, commissionable kind of insurance products. All they're going to do is manage your investments for you and charge a percentage of that. Okay, and they're, not, they're not making a commission off your off the trades that they they make on your behalf. 
they're you're... not making a commission, but they're still charging a percentage of the portfolio that you have. What we do is we're kind of on the bleeding edge of this new wave of financial planning called advice only. And so this is one step kind of beyond fee only where as advice only financial planners, we don't actually charge a percentage of your portfolio um, as a fee. Um, we don't have insurance or commissionable products to sell. All we do is give advice for a fee and it doesn't matter how much you have, how little you have. It's it's just that transparent fee. And that's really where we want the industry to start going. And uh, it is a very, like I said, a very new space. And you know, the term fiduciary is something that everybody does use pretty liberally. It it really has no, in my opinion, like no worth. You know, you can call yourself a fiduciary if you work at, you know, the worst place in the world. But really, consumers should just look at what am I paying my how do I pay my advisor? What am I paying them? And are there any hidden fees? And that that's that's what matters. Yeah. So when it comes to financial advisors, how do you know if they're giving you advice that aligns with your best interests? Because you know, they could be putting you in financial assets where they're earning a high commission, you or they're getting kickbacks or they're being paid, you know, different different arrangements. But really, these funds that you're they're putting you in are these financial assets, they're paying them high fees, but really the returns kind of stink. So yeah. how do you know? Well, and that's where um you you can't you really can't know. And that's why I'm saying just take take the question even out of the equation. If you work with an advice only advisor, right? You don't have to ever worry about what are they going to put me in? What are those fees going to be? Are these is this in my best interest because you know that you're paying them, you know, x per month, x per year and that is it period. Um there's never any additional cost to you, you know, that that advisor is going to earn. Um yeah. and so it's to me that's the only answer because it's just it's it gets too murky and too hard for a consumer to um to figure out on their own. Yeah. So a consumer's like, okay, that's great advice only. What would be the advantage of, of doing that? And, and why, why would you want to create a company where you're providing advice only when you could be making, you know, basis points on somebody's assets under, under management? I mean, I, yeah, uh, because be we're crazy, right. And you'd be like, yeah. oh my gosh, you just want to save the world and, and do all this. But you know, some of these advisors out there, they're earning one, 2% on people's assets, which is a huge number. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so talk to me a little bit about that in the, that business model. Yeah. It's because we're, because we're crazy um, because we are, are trying to do, yeah, we're trying to be altruistic. We're trying to do something that's, that's better for the world. I will say it hasn't been done before what we're trying to do. And it's, it's because it's a lot less profitable. You know, we manage as a firm, um, you know, we oversee close to about $500 million of, of client investments. We could be making yeah, five, six, seven million dollars a year as a firm, but instead we're making way, 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 way less than that, right? And it's a conscious decision. And yeah, I think that it is uh, going to be a, a bigger and bigger, uh, a better option or a, a more available option for consumers in say five, ten years, because with the rise of you know platforms like Vanguard and Fidelity that offer really really low cost investing i think consumers are just wising up to the fact that they don't have to be paying those high fees yeah and so i think we're going to see more of this in the future okay so you're an expert in the space you've been in the space for over a decade and you have a lot of experience managing money like you said you have a, a big portfolio of your clients that you provide advice on how does somebody know whether or not 
an expert or a financial fiduciary or financial professional in the space is giving good advice. I mean, how do you know that? Because if you go on TikTok or Instagram or Facebook or just search the web or whatever it is, forums that you go on, you know, somebody's going to say, oh my goodness, you need to get into whole life insurance. Like there are so many tax benefits. It's the greatest thing in the world. Or somebody else is going to say, you should get into index funds. You know, here, here are a couple of different tickers to get into, or somebody may say, you know, don't do any of that garbage instead invest in real estate. And I mean, there's just so many talking heads out there. How does somebody discern whether or not advice is good and whether or not it's in their best interest? Yeah. Wonderful question. I, I don't have a great, a great answer for this because so much of, you know, so much of advice, so much of financial planning is, is subjective, right? And it's also kind of forward looking, like you're making, ex, you know, projections of what's going to happen in the market and taxes and, and all that. But what I would say is you can know if the advice you're getting is good or not based on how well that person has come to understand you and your situation. You know, if, if Steve, if you are sitting down with us and we're spending an hour or two really getting to understand you, your goals, your family, you know, your emotions behind money, your history with money. And then we're, we're spending, you know, another few hours putting together some recommendations and we're presenting them to you. You're going to feel like at least you were heard. At least there was some merit with that advice, good or bad versus if you, if you hear something on TikTok or Instagram, they don't know you. They don't know what you have going on in your life. They don't know your debt. They don't know your assets. They don't know your goals. So that's probably going to, sure, it it might be the exact right thing for you in that moment, but that would be luck. That wouldn't be skill. That wouldn't be, you know, uh, somebody intentionally doing that. Yeah. And it's that personalized advice, which I think is key, right? Yes, exactly. Yep. How how do you see artificial intelligence and these robo-advisors transforming the industry? I mean, do you think it's too premature to determine that? Or do you think it's going to, you know, it's just a bolt on for somebody offering advice to just to strengthen their capabilities, but really it's not going to replace the human. What's your thought on all that tech coming out? Yeah. I, you know, I'm fascinated like everybody else with AI and I am much more bullish on AI replacing financial planning than a lot of other, a lot of my peers, right. That don't want to believe that reality. I definitely think that, you know, this is a field that doesn't have, uh, you know, a permanent lifespan. I think there will be a point. I don't know if it's, if, if it's in five years, if it's in 30 years or 50 years, I don't know when it is, but I think that, yeah, AI will absolutely get to a point. I look forward to this mm-hmm. where AI gets to a point where, you know, you're able to kind of upload your financial picture to it. And then it down, you know, gives back to you actionable steps to take and, and monitors that over time. Absolutely. That's coming. Yeah. And I, I look, I look forward to it. And, and we, as a firm are embracing that we're trying to definitely work with it. Well, well, as growing to help, help uh, provide the best advice we can. Yeah. I think it's going to be a great supplement. I think that it doesn't necessarily replace financial advisors or financial experts, but I think it, it supplements their capabilities. I think those who don't use it, those yeah. are the ones that are going to get replaced. So it's not a matter of replacing everybody. It's just those who aren't tapping into its power uh, will definitely get replaced or passed up. Oh, great. Yeah. We, and we're, we are trying to, I mean, for eight months, really since kind of since the launch of ChatGPT three, I think we've been really trying to leverage it as much as we can. And I would say too, people aren't, aren't always going to trust it. 
So even if if AI gets to a point where, you know, a lot of financial planners have been replaced, there's still going to be demand for financial planners because of people who just don't want to put their hand, you know, their financial lives in the hands of AI. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. That's true. Okay. So talk to me about this. Somebody wants to get started and they don't even know where to begin. How important do you think financial intelligence is for someone? I mean, how much do they need to know? Do they need to be an expert in all these vehicles and all these different asset classes? Or what are your thoughts on just financial acumen overall? I, I think it's hard to ask somebody to, um, you're saying you're saying for them to even get in the door to start working with a financial planner, do yeah. they need to have some kind of baseline knowledge? Sure. I would say no. I mean, I think it's the it's the job, it's the goal of a good financial planner to educate, mm-hmm. to to provide that that kind of knowledge for that individual. You know, we've had folks with starting from zero, right? Um, start working with us who now understand, right? Why am I saving into my four hundred one k? Why am I saving into a Roth IRA? Why am I putting X towards my student loans? And we, you know, we proudly help them get to that level of understanding. Got it. Okay. So are there, are there common trends or things that you see where you're like, oh my goodness, like why are so many people falling into this trap? Why are so many people making this mistake? Uh, Are there common mistakes or things that that you see people are making? And then conversely, after you answer that, I'm going to follow up and and ask you about success stories that you've seen with people who uh, go down this path. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I think we get themes of common mistakes. Um, it, you know, we'll we'll see a lot of something over one season, and then a lot of something else over another season. Uh, you know, a year ago, it was it was it was kind of like everybody wanted to buy a rental property, and yeah, that makes sense for some people. But like when every single person wanted to buy it, you know, there might be room for pause to say, hey, what's what's going on here? Now, what we're seeing is there's there's really a mismatch of risk tolerance with people's investment selection. So we'll we'll meet with a lot of folks who are very scared of the market. They're very conservative um, in, in what they tell us. But then when we look at their investments, they're like a hundred percent, you know, full, fully invested in the stock market. And so we have to really work with them to help them understand like, hey, you might want to better align your investments with your risk. And conversely, we'll get some people who are really aggressive in what they tell us, um, you know, hey, I'm an aggressive investor. And then they're sitting entirely in cash. And so it's it's just trying to make sure people are aligning the the kind of the risk with the um, reality. Okay. That makes sense. And then what about success stories where people who get advice only type services and they're they're able to thrive and do really well? Any stories on that? Yeah, you know my my favorite experience is when we get really young folks working with us. I think back to we had a client a couple of years ago start working with start working with us when they were nineteen, so like literally freshman year of college. Like I'm going to devote a portion of my you know school stipend to this, mm-hmm. and um, they were able to essentially start paying down their student loans with some of the money they were earning from the their part-time job through college. And they were able to go from essentially what was going to be about a $30,000 net worth, or sorry, $30,000 negative net worth when they graduated to actually graduating with positive net worth. And then now, even a few years out, they've got a net worth of over $100,000 because they just have like the most incredible habits that they've built in terms of budgeting and saving. And that's so rewarding because 
you know, while this person was very driven before, we know that they probably weren't going to be quite as successful as they actually have ended up being um, because of our help. Got it. Okay. That makes sense. So let me ask you this. I mean, I, I was reading something, right? I, I actually saw it on the news one day when I was at the gym. I mentioned this in in another podcast, but it's like 60% of Americans are living check to check. Yeah. And so obviously that's a major issue. And also, you know, you have costs are escalating, you know, and inflation is ruining people's purchasing power. And so when you look forward into the future and and I talk to people like colleagues and just the everyday hardworking American out there, or even people across the world that I talk to, it's like, okay, they work, they pay their bills. And if they're lucky, they have a little bit left over. And if they're disciplined, they're not going to go spend that just on frivolous stuff. But let's say they're able to take 10% or squeeze out 20% and they go invest it and they put it in like index funds or just whatever it may be. It's just a conservative type of, a, of investment or a diversified investment. And they grow it over you know 30 years. I mean, really in 30 years, it's like, yes, you can grow that with compounding, but also it's like, is is that whole idea of, okay, if I put 10% of my money to the side, I'm going to be this multimillionaire one day and be able to retire at 50 years old. Is that really realistic when you look at market volatility, when you look at returns, like true real returns in the market and everything else? I mean, how realistic is that? For people, does there need to be a reset on expectations and just in mindset when it comes to financial freedom and retirement and everything else? What are your thoughts on that? I think that all we can really look at is what has happened in the past. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned I've been doing this now for you know 15, 16 years, and I've helped hundreds and hundreds of people retire. And they all got to that point by doing what you said, right? They save 15, 20% of their income. It accumulated to enough based on market returns that between that pool of money plus social security, they're able to retire. Mm-hmm. Now, we don't know what's going to happen over the next 30 years. And yeah, there's a scenario where the market is flat or the market is down or the market's terrible and social security isn't there. And then, yeah, we ought, we have big, big problems. Absolutely. But there were fears 15 years ago. There were fears 30 years ago or there were fears 50 years ago about things that people thought were going to happen that didn't materialize. And so it's hard to really, it's hard, it's hard to make concrete plans based on a a fear, right? It's better to make concrete plans based on what, what has been a, what have been, what have been the actual realities over 150 years of the market. And so I would say what we do, right, is, is we're, we're trying to really balance people making sure they know, right? What what are the, what's the risk of ranges that can happen? What if we have a really good 50 years in the market? What if we have a really bad 50 years in the market? So they can see the difference and they can see yeah. how they need to adjust their savings for for the worst case scenarios. And and we do that. We do that in every meeting. Hmm. I like that. And and you're right. I mean, fear is just going to debilitate people and and I and I think it's like consistent investing over the long term is what allows people to achieve that financial freedom. I mean, I I think if you're coming in, trying to make a quick buck, you're trading in stock options, you don't really know what you're doing. So really it's gambling and you're just trying to do all these get rich quick schemes. I've I've seen people put like 20 grand into an account and they're speculating that they're going to make all this money off like penny stocks or whatever. And then the value goes down to like zero. 
And so I I think you got to be really careful. I think it's that consistent long-term investment strategy and having a real plan that is viable and that is like actionable, I think is key. And then I think like from a financial literacy standpoint, understanding the basics, right? Whether it's the basics with personal finance or whether it's with corporate finance, you understand how to read financial statements, you understand how to invest in, in stocks and other financial assets is really key. Because it's not like you go to the doctor and you just let the doctor make all your decisions for you. So having some baseline or having some resource where you can say, hey, look, I don't know about this topic, but here, I can reach out to this person and get advice, I think is really critical and very important as part of the overall investment strategy. Yeah. I mean, it's almost always going to be better than trying to go it alone exactly. and figure it out yourself. Yeah. So th- this has been great, Eric. Um, I love what you're doing at um, Abundo Wealth. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to create a page for Eric on the Boosting Your Financial IQ website. So if you go to byfiq.com, go to guest, you'll see Eric Simonson on there. Um, I'll provide links and everything so you can get in contact with him or check out what he's doing if you want to learn more. But this has been a really good conversation. And I think it's uh, a very interesting play here in the market with this advice only type business model. So thank you for being on the show, Eric. Thank you, Steve. Appreciate the conversation. And for everybody who is tuning in, thanks a lot for joining us today. And until next episode, cheers. Hey, real quick. If you get value out of this podcast, it would mean the world to me if you would leave us a review. Also, if you want to be featured on the show, send me a recording with your name, your age, where you're from, and your question through a voice note or a video using your smartphone. Then email me the file at hello at byfiq.com. BYFIQ stands for Boosting Your Financial IQ. So once again, it's hello at byfiq.com. If selected, I'll give you a shout out and answer your question for you and the entire community. One last thing, if you want access to additional resources that will help you fast track your path to financial freedom, visit byfiq.com or download our free app in the Apple or Google Play App Store today. Thanks again.